This is the Fit Doc Podcast with Dr. Michelle Reed. Hello, Fit Fam. This week's episode is going to be talking about children. And we have none other than pediatrician extraordinaire, Dr. Stacy Eady. And she has been practicing for over 20 years and is a board certified pediatrician and a member of the American Academy of Pediatrics. So little known thing, she is actually my twin. <laughs> yeah, you think you know everything about me, but Dr. Stacy is my twin. We have the same birthday. We were born a couple of years different, right? Yes. We're both in the same sorority. Our husbands have the same birthday themselves and are in the same fraternity. So we met, um, Stacey, when did we first meet? I think it was 1993. Yes. We interviewed for medical school together. Back then we went to the school, what was it called now? New York College of Osteopathic Medicine. Yes. And now it's called the New York Institute of Technology College of Osteopathic Medicine. So after we both graduated to medical school, she decided to venture to Michigan slash Wayne State University to do her residency at Children's Hospital in Pediatrics. Now, before we get into talking to Dr. Edie, today's hot topic is mental illness in not only the pediatric population, but in adults too. But since we're going to talk about pediatrics today, we're just going to talk about mental illness. So Dr. Edie, I'm seeing an increase in my teenagers going into my young adults coming in with anxiety, depression, psychosis. A lot of them are vaping and using marijuana. Now I know I'm in New York. You are in Maryland. Are you noticing any similarities as to what I see? Uh, absolutely. Um, well, it's always been around uh, that the kids have been, you know, experiencing or experimenting with um, different types of substances. Uh, but yeah, I would say recently I'm getting an influx. And some of the patients, because I feel there's an increase in like anxiety and some depression, I like to put it with the pandemic. But we'll see later on um, as time goes what things we'll find out and how the pandemic uh, especially with the isolation, mm -hmm. has affected the children of this generation. And I'm seeing it very young, too. So not just the teens mm -hmm. with the uh, anxiety. A lot of anxiety I'm seeing even in very young children as well. Mm -hmm. And so I put that along with the social isolation yeah. for the two to three years and not being used to being around a lot of people. And mm -hmm. then all of a sudden everything opened up. Mm -hmm. And they were kind of dumped back into the world okay. and having to um, figure some of that out. So I really look at them as being about two years uh, behind or delayed in their social. Mm. Some, some have caught up, you know, mm -hmm. or they, they're always been social. So, you know, they can kind of wing it, but they even have a little anxieties in there as well. Mm -hmm. So trying to figure out how to get them readjusted mm -hmm. And in life and feeling feeling comfortable uh, being around other people and not just on their tablets and phones and and uh, having the social isolation. So now you mentioned anxiety in those who are not teenagers. So 
some parents might not be able to pick up on the things that you being an expert can pick up. So how might anxiety and or depression present in someone under the age of like 10 or 11 years old? Sometimes it, it could just be kind of mood swings or not just crying. Uh, with some kids, they'll come into the office and you'll kind of see it. I even had a child the other day that um, mom was concerned about autism. The child, she's about nine years old. Okay. And we, you know, went through Kennedy Krieger and Kennedy Krieger is um, one of the institutions here in Baltimore through Hopkins that um, evaluates children for autism. And uh, she did the evaluation and all, and they came up with anxiety. And I knew she had anxiety, but they really did not find any autism. Wow. Uh, they are going to run some more testing, but it was just a lot of social anxiety and just anxiety in general. And, you know, when they come in the office with me, the, the kind of things, they'll get very clingy with their parents. They kind of shy away when you come to them, you know, and things like that. For the parents, it is overwhelming and they kind of know. Um, I had another child just yesterday as well, um, same kind of things, just crying for no reason and older. Mm -hmm. And until the visit was over, you know, it's almost like they just don't know how to express themselves, but there is, it's, it's the anxiety that's really mm -hmm. kicking in. And it's a little just overwhelming for them. They know, hey, I'm here at the doctor. Mm -hmm. You know, we were at home. You didn't prepare me for this. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times if the parents kind of prepare them in advance, kind of talk with them and let them know, we, we talked about this. We're going to the doctor. We're going to see Dr. Edie. This is what's going to happen. This is what I think may not happen. Okay. Uh, Day, but we'll find out from Dr. Edie what, what we'll be doing today. It gives a big difference when they come into the office. So you can do that in everyday life too, when they're going to school. Mm -hmm. You know, today is a school day. This is how we're going to begin our day. And it kind of prepares them and brings some of that anxiety down. So as parents, we have to make sure that we're not only paying attention to ourselves, that we're also paying attention to any changes in behavior of our children, but then also realize that if they know they have to go to school or they have to go to the doctor's office, sometimes we need to give them a little prep as to what to look forward to. Because I remember like, as my kids started to get early, like earlier, or well, later on in life rather, and they knew we were going to the doctor's office, one of them would start like crying and the other one would be like, yay, shots, shots, shots. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what does this kid know about shots? But that was his way of talking about the vaccinations. And then when we get into the room, the one who was so excited about getting a vaccine, he would start like, give me his, give me his. And I'm pretty sure you know which one was which. <laughs> Dr. Stacey yeah. who was doing what. And um, the other one would just sit there and cry as soon as he saw the needle. So sort of by preparing to them as to what the process is going to look like, that sort of also eases down the anxiety. But I think a lot of times kids don't exactly express how they feel, but as their parent, we sort of have to pick up on those little subtle changes um, that maybe change when they're around certain people or when they go to school, when they have a good day, when they have a bad day. So I think that's all key. So um, my next topic is in real life. So I like to talk about so many things in real life, but it's in real life as to what's going on. So as far as in real life, I like to exercise. 
I know you love to exercise, Dr. Edie. So can you tell me about how you have sort of like ramped up your game of exercising? Because you know me, I've been a personal trainer. I got the fit doc boot camps. Um, now we're doing like free Saturdays. But I know that you have been doing your thing. And I think it's important that people see that side of you because you got your step, your your white coat on. You don't have your stethoscope. I know you like my new stethoscope, right? I definitely love that. <laughs> so now what have you been doing that as far as your exercise routine that you can sort of translate that back into your office to share with your patients and their parents? So, so for me, uh, to be transparent, I'll say um, I always dipped and dab with exercise, um, not always been consistent. Mm -hmm. uh, I used to dance in college. I used to always play a sport and everything when I was younger, always physically active in that way. And as I got older and life became life and, you know, life was life Life was lifing, and I was just, you know, you kind of get pulled here and pulled there, and you have kids, and mm -hmm. something has to give sometimes, you know, and, and sometimes I'd find myself, I would be the one that had to give, and that meant that sometimes I would not keep up with my exercise routines mm -hmm. and, and things. I'd start off, and then as soon as stress hit, that might be the first thing to go, you know, oh, I got to take this time for that. Now I need to do this. But recently, I'll say almost a year, I'm going to check. Uh, I do have a personal trainer and um, which I started out with and she's wonderful. And the reason she's wonderful is because it's, it's a whole experience. It's like a spiritual experience as well mm -hmm. for me. So not only do I go and feel physically different. Mm -hmm. But when I leave mentally, I've left everything there. I do meet up on, you know, a routine basis um, with her. And um, the more, you know, she would train with me and, and she kind of, I guess, picks up on your personality. My husband loves to work out as, as Dr. Reed knows. And I would try and start with my husband and that just, it just worked for me. <laughs> My husband's like the drill sergeant with me. And I'm like, no, oh, you know, like it, it just it didn't mix. So um, she has that perfect mix. You know, she doesn't push it too far, but push it enough. And then she realizes now I can put, I can take her anywhere. I can, I can push her, you know, to limits. So it's now pleasurable in my mind now. It's not like eating those green vegetables when you're younger mm -hmm. and you're like, yuck, yuck, you know, I don't want to eat that. Now I'm like, oh, I want to do this. You mm -hmm. know, I feel different. I'm starting to change some of the, the habits of the eating habits and things like that. And I'm feeling different. I used to feel a little achy at times, you know, you feel like your joints and certain foods you eat. I realized I can't do dairy, you know, and I realized that in the pandemic when I really cut back a lot mm -hmm. on dairy back then. And if I do take some dairy or mm -hmm. something that I'm not supposed to eat, I know I feel instantly just drained mm -hmm. and I know it sounds, I heard people say this before and I'm like, oh yeah, sure. You know, but no, it is a feeling. I just thought I was tired, you know, because I'm working all the time and running and, and all this. No, really, I have a lot more energy and I have a regimen now. 
get up early in the morning. I get up about five o'clock mm-hmm. and I'll work out for an hour. I do about 30 minutes of cardio and then I get in a little of my strength training as well. And I just do that on my own. And for me, just that little bit, but every day the consistency has meant so much just with the feel of my body, the excitement that I have and joy I have for myself that I feel like I've achieved something. And then my my trainer always, she gets all my workouts from my watch every day and she cheers me on like, Aww. you know of the you know the race you know she's there you know you're doing so great I'm so proud of you you know so you know it's been great it's been great and I feel bad if I ever miss out if I go on vacation I find a hotel that has a gym and I work out as well all right good so that's great consistency is the key for this like I said you are inspiring other people to achieve by showing that you are being accountable to doing what you have to do for your health before you walk in the door of peds in a pod. So if you can just tell us cuz I know you've been you've had your private practice for what over 15 years now, right? Not that quite that long, 12 years. Oh, close <laughs> enough. You know I can round up. We're yes. going up. We're not going down. So <laughs> I know what inspired you to become a doctor. Can you just let us know as an audience as whole, what has inspired you to become a doctor? And then what made you determine to open your own office? Okay. So my story, I'll take it back to when I was younger. So uh, my mom, my mother passed when I was six years old of cancer, multiple myeloma. And for me, as six years old, I didn't quite understand, you know, death. So for me, it was, oh, everyone say, oh, you're going to see her again. You're going to see her in heaven. And I'm like, oh, this wonderful place. I'm going to see her. And then you get a little older, you realize like, oh, you're not going to see her. And so somewhere at around seven, eight, I, I was like, you know, this is not what I want for mommies and, and, and children, you know, like children shouldn't be without their mommies. I want to be a doctor because I want to make sure that I can change the health of people mm-hmm. in order to make sure that that connection is still there. And so as a young child, you know, my experience meant a lot to me and impacted me that way. But also, as I learned more about my birth, um, I was born with an omphalocele, and an omphalocele is like a, a huge herniation of your uh, abdomen. And so all of, not all of my intestines, but a large portion of my intestines were outside of my body when I was born. So since I was born, I won't say mm, 19, you know, what it is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> ultrasound back then, you know, they weren't doing routine ultrasound. So my mom did not know of this complication and they didn't know until I was born. And so when I heard of this uh, story of how, you know, my dad would always say, oh, you're a miracle baby. I didn't really Mm -hmm. understand that. But what happened was back then only one in eight children could survive that type of uh, operation and just birthing of it. Mm -hmm. And so because they had no clue what was going on that, you know, that the child had it inside. They didn't have things prepared, had me at the right hospital, all of that. So once I, I learned about that as well, I'm like, wow, you know, I love kids. You know, I want, I want to be a pediatrician, you know? And so my dad fostered that. 
And as a young child, he always told me like, well, if you're going to be a pediatrician, you should have your own office. You know, Mm -hmm. these kind of things were put in Mm -hmm. to my head as a very young child. Mm -hmm. And um, once I got older, I was like, okay, um, my pediatrician was an African-American male. And so for me, it wasn't far fetched that it was something that I could do because I saw someone who looked like me. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, moving on in life, I wanted to become a pediatrician. And so that's how I came to also having my own practice. However, (laughs) you know, I did do private practice. I was able to um, learn under um, another practice who had a a private practice. And I would just watch and Mm -hmm. see how things were being done. And also I, I had a vision for what I wanted for my practice. And so as soon as I had an opportunity, I said, you know what, I think this is the time and I'm going to try this out. And so I also had lovely friends like Dr. Reed who had their own practice. And, you know, I could also see that, um, hey, you know, it's going to be work. Pediatrics is a little different as well. And um, you're going to have naysayers and things like that. But I said, I can do this. So (laughs) that's right. So I did a solo practice. (laughs) Yes. And I know it hasn't been easy. Um, you know, having the solo practice. Um, But at the same time, it almost seems like having your own practice was not enough for you. And I guess we're sort of similar, like our type A personalities, being twins that we are, um, that you decided to venture out into other projects. So you have the mentoring program that you have for young people who, um, who aspire to be doctors. And then you also, during COVID, started a um, podcast where you and another pediatrician were talking about topics that were relevant to parents and children. What made you decide to say, okay, you know what? I have my private practice. It's not enough for me. Um, I'm already busy with my two children because your children were playing sports at the time and you were married and that in itself is another job. Yes. What inspired you? Because we were both spiritual people. What said, okay, you know what, Dr. Stacy, this is not enough. There's something more that you should do. So for the mentoring, I would say that's always been a part of my life. Mm-hmm. So even before it was like a platform, I, I would take myself back to even high school. You know, we had like little sisters, big sisters. You know, um, I went to an all-female uh high school. And so you always had someone you were always mentoring. So I kind of took that into college as well. You know, always took people in, you know, to kind of mentor them because it's just very important to make sure that, you know, if you have become successful, you're not successful unless you bring someone else along the way. So even when I moved here from Detroit from my residency, I started a mentoring program as well with um, one of my colleagues as well. Actually, one before then I did on my own. And then one I did with a colleague Mm -hmm. um, where we were mentoring uh, young females in the Baltimore metropolitan area to give them, you know, uh, more... I guess we could say examples um, of professional women, Mm -hmm. how to learn to navigate um, amongst women, Mm -hmm. um, fostering positive relationships with Mm -hmm. women. We were teaching them things like that. And so 
with the uh, medical school <laughs> portion, it kind of fell in my lap because I was asked to do a talk at my college, at my alma mater, Lincoln University. And it started there for me just to talk with some students that were in the pre-med program, nursing, and it, it blossomed from there of, you know, oh, Dr. Edie, can I have your phone number? And I'm like, yes, everybody just take my phone number down. And then I get all these phone calls, you know, because they had questions about how to get, how do I get into nursing school? How do I get into medical school? And I think by the second year that I did the, the talk, I was getting texts, so many texts, and I loved it. But I said, you know, there are so many of my colleagues out here who would love to have this opportunity to speak with people that are younger. And I knew that they could do the job. And I called on my colleagues, such as Dr. Reed. Everyone was so receptive and excited about it. And so we wound up having, I think about 25 professionals. It started out, it was supposed to be like a pre-med thing. And then I get a call from a student and they said, well, I have a friend that wants to go to pharmacy school. Why well, have a friend <laughs> go to dental school. I'm like, I know a dentist. I know a pharmacist. So I was like, okay, tell them to come on, send me the information. We'll add them to the program. And it was, it was a lovely thing. COVID hit Mm -hmm. and, you know, it was a lot going on um, at that time for the students. They were being displaced. We had students that were international that didn't know where they were even going to be living at the time. It was a very stressful time um, for the students and the physicians, because remember, and professionals, because everyone had something going on, right? Right. And um, so that became, you know, one of the obstacles, I'd say. But so many have matriculated into their um, graduate schools. I get texts, I get calls, they're in medical school. It's just wonderful. For me, it just keeps paying. But my only thing for each student is that if I help you, you have to help someone else. Yes. So that's my motto. And so, you know, I thank you again for um, hearing the call, taking the call and helping out with that program as well. No, as always. I mean, I really feel like service is something that we should all be doing. Um, but it has to be within your parameters. And I remember I was talking to one of my friends and I was like, oh my gosh, I wish I could do this program, this program, this program. And he's like, don't you realize like the sheer fact that you have your own office and you allow students to rotate through the office. And whenever he said, I send you somebody who says they want to go and become a doctor, you're always there for them. He said, that's your way of serving your community. And I just pray that we all continue to be strong enough that we will continue to mentor those that are underneath us um, because everybody needs a word of encouragement, especially nowadays with everything that's going on. You know, And I'm just gonna segue into, I know as a pediatrician, being in private practice is not easy. You see a lot of different diseases and pathology that comes in, but what are like maybe the top three things that you see come into your office all the time, but you really wish that parents and children could work together to sort of resolve? For me, I'll just say one would be nutrition. Really, it's two, nutrition and exercise. Um, Because I remember when I started my not-for-profit, 
it started out because I was talking to a kid and I was like, yes, I was like, you know, make sure you eat this, this and this. And we talked about exercise. And then he looked at me and he said, my mama don't exercise. So I don't know why I should. And you should see what she gives me to eat. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, shoot. That is true. So me talking to the child is one thing, but the parent needs to be also included in the conversation to make sure that the change happens because the kid is not, he doesn't have a job and he wasn't going out buying the food. It was the mother. (laughs) So what are like three things that you see that you really want parents and children to work together to change? Yeah, that was going to be on probably the top, one of the top would be um, obesity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nutrition is probably a best way to say it because you can be thin and still not mm-hmm. be healthy. So we talk about those things and and with that, um, the approach it you know that I take is different for each child. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do is kind of allow the child because as soon as we bring it up, the countenance changes. They, you know, as soon as I say, well, let, I want to talk about you know, I want to talk about your weight or I want to, you know, talk about nutrition because it's been brought up to them in such a negative Mm -hmm. stigma. Some become tearful Mm -hmm. um, just, just to bring it up. And so Mm -hmm. my approach on it is to kind of incorporate the child. And I really don't ask, I don't care what age they are. They could be eight or nine. I engage the child with it because when they feel they have control of, their nutrition and their life, they are more receptive and it becomes more of a positive. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I'll ask them in the end, I let them come up with their initial regimen. I say, would you like me to check back with you and see how you're doing? And they're like, yes, yes. And I just do simple things. What do you like to do? You know, like everybody doesn't run. Everybody doesn't... um, like to play basketball. What is it that you like to do? I like to dance. Wonderful. Uh So you like TikTok videos. Pull those TikTok videos up. I need you to do a TikTok video for start off with 15 minutes a day. I know they're going to do longer than that. (laughs) I start something very low and they're doing it anyway, you know, sometimes, but now they're making their own regimen, you know, and then we talk about, well, tell me about the food you like to eat and where do you eat? And when you eat fast food, are there other choices there that you can substitute? We don't have to, you know, like recreate everything. We don't have to take everything away right away, but how about we just change one thing? Can we change those fries to a salad or, you know, to the fruit? And they'll go, yeah, I could do that. You know, I do. Do you have any pushback with that? Fries to a salad? No. Dr. Dr. Stacy, come on now. You know, because (laughs) you're giving them the option. You're saying, (laughs) you like to go. I ask them where they like to go. They say Chick-fil-A. They go to McDonald's. They go to here. And so they'll tell me, you know, like, well, this is what I ask them. Exactly what do they get? They tell me what kind of drink, what size, mm-hmm. you know, everything. And I say, what in there can you switch? I'm not asking you to take everything away. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, but make it realistic, you know, mm-hmm. something you can do. And they'll say, yeah, I could do that. That's what they tell me. But those fries for me, I know those fries for me are hard. <laughs> well, wait a second. I'm going to get back to your third thing. But did I send you that video of the little kid and his parents had switched his meal and put his chicken nuggets in a McDonald's Happy Meal box and put some homemade fries. 
<laughs> and the little boy starts eating it. And then he's like, okay. He's like mm -hmm. looking at the, the chicken nuggets and he's like, mm. and then he put it aside and then he pulled out the French fry. He looked at the French fry. He's like, uh, uh. <laughs> but he realized the difference. And right. He didn't say anything. He just had the camera in front of him. But that was different because the mother did that. The child didn't do, you see what I'm saying? You have to give them you have to get the economy of making the choice. When you do it, then you violate it. So, so that is just to the parent to try that. That's very good. But that was funny. Smart. All right. So go ahead. What's your third thing then? So um, I would say neutral. Okay, say nutritional obesity as well. Um, I one thing I do have for parents that I, you know, if I, if I had time to talk about it and it really doesn't have to do with the kids mm -hmm. is, you know, we have different, um, I guess, situations, social situations with families. You know, we have some single moms, we have some, um, married, uh, parents, but mm -hmm. if you're in a relationship of being separated, mm -hmm. not to make the doctor's visit about, you guys not being together because mm. it's not we don't have lawyers you know mm -hmm. at the doctor's office um and it makes it very strenuous for the kids when they come in mm -hmm. because um sometimes you know it becomes a pitting one against the other and mm -hmm. you know it becomes a whole situation and about the health where we we're not really addressing the health we're really needing to manage some other things outside, mm -hmm. which we don't do that, you know, in the doctor's office. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, if I could say something that would help children, that's something that would help a lot. And and it, it becomes a big struggle, you know, at the office with the kids as well. Uh, other things with, um, it's, it's still going back to the mental health. Mm -hmm. um, for parents, that stigma of mental health, to let it go. Now we need to start to move on and say that we all could speak with someone. Mm -hmm. So it's not a bad thing if your child needs to speak with mm -hmm. someone and make it a positive thing. Mm -hmm. Don't make it a negative thing because there are a lot of kids that are suffering mm -hmm. uh, right now. And so that and vaccinations. <laughs> so. so now when we talk about vaccinations, because you brought it up, not me, what do you do when parents come in they themselves receive their vaccines, but they don't really feel that their children should receive all the childhood vaccines that they should receive and, you know, throw COVID into the mix. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't get COVID, so I don't think that my kid needs to get COVID vaccine. Mm -hmm. How do you sort of reinforce the importance of preventing future diseases with your child? So by vaccinating, this is the purpose. Like, what do you say to somebody who that is their mentality and the child is right there in the room with them? Well, I approach it very gently. You know, it is something that they have their own choice to be able to do. Um, I'll give one example for, I, I learned very early on uh, when I worked in the other office, uh, my earlier years, maybe the first three or four years of me practicing pediatrics, mm -hmm. I had a family who refused shots mm -hmm. and uh, it probably wasn't as prevalent then as it is now. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I said, okay. They were very adamant that they did not want shots. My job as a pediatrician is to educate you. So mm-hmm. I, I, I just, I just like to know why not, you know, mm-hmm. so that I can dispel any myths or whatever. I respected their um, decisions. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of their reasons, main reasons was because they did not want their child to uh, get autism. Okay. And um, so, you know, I I do my education every time they brought the child in. And um, as time went on, autism usually shows up at about 15, 18 months is the earliest about when the child has a chance to show enough social Mm -hmm. skills to pick that up. Okay. And um, she was starting to show some signs of autism. And so as time went on, you know, not time, not much time, Mm -hmm. you know, I was nudging to say, hey, you know, we need to refer and have this child evaluated because Mm -hmm. they're looking like they have some signs of autism. And at that time, I knew that this is more than likely 90% is autism. Mm -hmm. And my lesson at that time was never push because those parents would have sworn had I, you know, some kind of way without them wanting to do it mm-hmm. really had pushed enough that they did it and out of, mm-hmm. not that they would have done it out of their own will, mm-hmm. but they would have definitely said, no doubt. I knew I shouldn't have done it. My daughter now is autistic and you know, they could not, it actually unfolded that way. Wow. And, um, and I, I expressed that to them. I, I told them, I said, I'm so happy that you did not wind up getting the vaccines mm-hmm. because you really inside would have never felt good with yourself mm-hmm. that it was not the vaccine. You would have said, I knew I shouldn't have done it, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the child wound up having um, autism still does. She's older now. She's probably wow. about beautiful young lady. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were able to get her the services that she needed because mm-hmm. it's always, you know, great to find out earlier so that we mm-hmm. can get them as close to their peers. And they're, they're the most gifted kids in mm-hmm. the world. Yes. Autistic patients. Um, they actually have so many gifts mm-hmm. and um, just learning what those gifts are mm-hmm. And being able to, just like any child that's athletic or mm-hmm. someone who loves art, mm-hmm. we like to love on those gifts and um, just ha- have them have good self-esteem about themselves mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. She's a young lady now. Wow. So that was my story about vaccines. So I don't push, but I love to, I love to educate. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say that probably about 40%, I don't know because I don't rec- you know, kind of record it. Mm-hmm. I want to say I, after a while, and I've educated enough, maybe about 30, 40% of my patients wind up getting the vaccines because I, each time they come, I explain to them, I try mm-hmm. and will bring dad in so he can tell me what it is. And, and okay. most times they haven't read up on anything. They're going on something they viewed mm-hmm. on on social media social media or on the internet it's not something they really know Mm -hmm. and i have them talk to me about it and we and we have long conversations and and the parents go yeah you know because i say you know you have these vaccines you know right Mm -hmm. and we just have really normal conversations about it and also another thing is i tell them this like 
you know your child won't be able to travel the world you know like <laughs> this is just the united states and i don't know what's going to happen in a couple years in a decade or so are we going to have an increase in these diseases but you know certain places you will not visit if you right. don't these vaccines so you know unless you're going to make this 20 year old get all these shots when they're ready to go abroad and they're not going to want to do that all mm -hmm. those shots at one time right Oh, and, you know, and also, are you going to homeschool? Because the public schools are not, or you know, not even the private schools, most are not going to take mm -hmm. you without your vaccine. So be prepared. I tell them early, be prepared to homeschool mm -hmm. because they're going, or now you put me in a bad position because now you want me to give all these shots at four years old. Mm -hmm. And now they hate me every time they come. That's in. right. Number one. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're not all going to be like my twin, like, shut, shut, shut. No. no. But that's the other thing. Like we have to make sure that we realize like the children aren't robots, they're human beings. And at a certain point they're listening and they see, and then they're going to repeat what they hear. So we have to really be careful that we are sharing healthy habits with them. And if it's important to get vaccinated, we need to make sure that we follow through as parents and we make sure that we ourselves are vaccinated because what's the point of our children being vaccinated and us not being vaccinated and getting exposed to someone who had like measles, mumps, rubella, and then having a bad outcome, which could eventually lead to death. So education is so key. And now, I mean, I keep looking behind you, Dr. Stacy. I see that you have a nice banner up, lovely yeah. picture of you. It says maternal instinct. So we know what peas in a pod is. Now, what is maternal instinct? Well, um, I am a soon-to-be author, self-publisher um, of Maternal Instinct, my first book, Raising Black Sons to Thrive. So uh, this has been a project <laughs> like everything else. Mentioned all these other things that have been going on in my life. Um, I'm going to say, since my son is now 20, I started this journey when he was about 13. Mm. Uh, and uh, started out, uh, Dr. Reed and I had gone to a book writer's uh, boot camp. And um, I was like, you know, I do want to write a book. I want to write a book one day, you know. And But what would I write about? And it was just lovely that we went with some very prominent um, authors and um, leaders in, in the writing world. And I was able, they were able to massage my thought process on, you know, what would you write about? What are you passionate about? And that is where it all began. And um, for third, I started off with uh, a panel discussion on it. And I just wanted to see, because I knew I had been going through this feeling and why it was passionate for me was because my firstborn child, um, being a male, that uh, is my firstborn. And when I was pregnant with him, I was so excited because, you know, my husband and I had decided, you know, hey, this is the time and we're ready. And then I found out, oh, it's a boy. I found out early. Um, I wasn't sure if I wanted to know what it was at first. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, no, 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 you can't tell him and not tell me. So we found out it was a boy and I was so excited. You know, my parents had a boy first and I said, this is lovely. And um, then 
I started to have a little, you know, thoughts about what's going to happen when this male comes into the world. Mm -hmm. And I was starting to get these fears and anxiety because of the things that happen in our society with black males. And I was like, oh, I just found myself being overvigilant of everything. Just, Mm -hmm. it could be just something like education or, you know, his interactions with people or what about when he becomes a teen and, you know, what may, you know, what may he encounter and what do I need to do to align him? And Michelle knows this, uh, Dr. Mm -hmm. Reed knows this because we went to medical school and we know when we look to the left and right, Mm -hmm. it was mostly us, right? Females, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow, where are these, where are the males? Mm -hmm. You know, like it's not many, it's a handful. Mm -hmm. What happened? I went to school with brilliant brilliant black males what happened to them what 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 was their story i wanted to know because like i said i went to all female high school so there was a gap Mm -hmm. you know and so that was my passion for writing it because as i started to talk with other black females you know other mothers Mm -hmm. um especially if male sons i realized that they were too having these same thoughts Mm -hmm. and i'm like really this you worry about this i thought it was me i thought it was just me because no one's ever had this conversation with me but let me ask you a question though when you were pregnant that was during residency right yeah. my and you were in detroit yes and that's equivalent to being like in the inner city absolutely yeah. so were there certain things that you were exposed to in the hospital that might have maybe more so sort of triggered how you were feeling and what you were thinking the hospital i'm gonna think at children's some somewhat mm-hmm. yes but no i probably saw more new york <laughs> as a student <laughs> okay just throw us out on the, under the bus okay <laughs> residency at Brookdale that probably those were more those were more memories of you know things like that yes that did you know gunshot but that was still medical school so medical school residency yeah. so yeah those it, it did but mm-hmm. I had you'll see as you read the book I had some very personal things mm-hmm. um that led this inner anxiety that I didn't know about. Mm -hmm. And so in the book, I will unravel because writing the book was when I received my therapy. Mm -hmm. I didn't know all these things were in there because we've just been moving through life from school Mm -hmm. to school to residency to now children and moving to another state. And, you know, you don't, you just pack things on and you keep moving. You're like, okay, I, I can't, I can't wallow in this. I got to keep moving. And it wasn't until I had to ask the hard questions, why are you so stressed? Mm -hmm. And I had to unpeel a lot of personal things. And in the book, I'm going to unveil those things. And also I'll talk about different topics Mm -hmm. um, that were important and dear to me, injustice, education, brotherhood, things like that. Um, And I'll I'll come up with some strategies as well within the book uh, for mothers of young sons that they can try and come along with a path of of what they might be able to make their own unique path, Mm -hmm. but give them just a little foundation um, just as they're starting to raise their son. So I use my professional 
Mm-hmm. And I use my personal mm-hmm. experience as a mother to give my maternal instinct about raising Black sons. Today. Yes. So I feel like I was part of the pregnancy. So I have to just do a disclaimer. So even though we're twins, I do not know the full content. I'm just doing my little disclaimer. I do not know the full content. So it's going to be just as much a surprise to me as it is to the audience um, when the book comes out. And as soon as we get the information as to when the release is coming, because it's coming, because pretty soon we're going to have to make sure like we got the book side by side, twin one, twin two. You could be twin one. (laughs) but you know I was part of the whole I feel like the birthing process yes um because I think it's important that we talk about our families I think it's very important that we talk about our children Mm -hmm. and especially with everything that is going on now and I mean we've even touched on it a little bit with the Supreme Court uh settlements that have just come out with affirmative action. So Stacy and I, when I'm sorry, Dr. Stacy and I, when we went to medical school, we were part of an initiative to get more minorities into medical school. And our class had about 50 Blacks and Hispanics that were in our entering class of medical school. And we were known in New York State as having the most amount of Blacks and Hispanics in a medical school throughout New York state. And that was upstate, downstate and Long Island. But as time has passed, that sort of dwindled down and Stacy and I, Dr. Stacy and I have continued and sorry, I'm calling you Dr. Uh, Stacy because I'm so used to Stacy, but Dr. Stacy and I have sort of tried to still be active in our medical school because it's so important for us to give back, but it's also so important because research has shown that if you are treated, especially as a Black person by a Black doctor, your health outcomes are so much better as far as your compliance, you taking medication, decreased hospitalization, but then also just living longer. And that's documented research that came out in around Easter time this past year. So for us to go back to our medical school, sometimes there might be two, there might be three in the medical school class. But representation does matter. It makes an important um, step in making sure that as a whole, not just a community is healthy, but as a society and as the United States, that it's going to continue to be healthy and stronger. So my prayer is that we can continue, Dr. Stacy, to inspire our young people to go into the medical field, but also that schools will give them the fair chance and the opportunity of not only applying to medical school, because that also costs money, but uh, getting accepted to the medical school and completing the medical school. Um, And I think that's huge. Yes, it is costly to go to medical school. Unfortunately, in the United States, There are only a few schools as far as medical schools that have free tuition, but somehow we have to make sure, but there are scholarships out there. I think I had the National Health Service Corps scholarship. So I I went to um, family medicine and I agreed to work in an underserved area, but there are other scholarships out there for our young people to apply to. So if you achieve to be a physician, just like Dr. Stacey Eady or your child is, you know, please feel free to reach out to us. Um, 
because we are here for you. We really want to make sure that we see the change that it's not just about us. It's about our children. It's about our grandchildren, which should not be a thought right now for our kids. Right. Right. But <laughs> it's a future thought down the road. But it's, it's about providing a better future for all of us. So, Dr. Stacy, I know I've known you for umpteen thousand years. But what is one thing that maybe I know, but not everybody knows, or maybe I don't even know about you? Fun fact. Is that what this is? That's right. Fun fact. Fun fact. Don't make it corny either. I attended school with Tupac Shakur, Hmm. middle school, eighth grade. And so that's my fun fact. We were in the same school at the same time in Baltimore, Roland Park Middle School. So that's a fun fact. Oh, wow. I never knew that. Yeah, remember, we were at your mother's home when we found out when he was killed. Remember that? Yeah, that's That's, true. That is true. And they're still having ongoing things, trying to find out about who actually murdered him. So praying eventually that comes to closure. (laughs) So Dr. Edie, we're going to post how people can get in contact with you. But if you could just let us know the best way to reach you and your practice, because you are in Maryland. You're open to new patients, right? Yes, we still are accepting. We're we're we are a little ways out, but um, yes, we are accepting new patients. So if you can just give us the best way to reach you on social media, you or your practice, okay. um, and if you want to say the phone number for your practice, that's that's fine because we're also going to share it in our comments section. Okay, great. Well, I am Dr. Stacey Edie. I'm located in the Baltimore metropolitan area. Uh, the name of my practice is PEDS, P-E-D-S, in a pod, Pediatrics, LLC. Uh, we have a website, which is www.pedsinapod.net. Um, we can be found on both IG and Facebook. Um, as Pete's in a pod, Pediatrics LLC. Uh, also, let's see, our phone number is 410-285-5437. If you go to the website and you would like to become a new patient, there is a section t- a tab that you can push that says new patient. And if you fill out those forms that are there, all of them, someone will contact you. Uh, You can always call the office as well. And for Maternal Instinct, please look out for that in the next few weeks. It should be uploaded on Amazon. Uh, You can find that book, Maternal Instinct, the book on IG, and just Maternal Instinct uh, 16, I believe it is on Facebook, but it may just be Maternal Instinct, I have to say. So we'll make sure we share that. And I mean, Dr. Edie, thank you so much for being a part of the Fit Doc Michelle Reed podcast. We talked about so many things today. And I think one of the key things is just to make sure that our children stay safe and healthy. And thank you so much for sharing information about how to parent, not to be a better parent, but how to parent in general and the importance of us as physicians modeling to our patients and their parents about the importance of exercise because you know we talk the talk but we're actually doing it because the way I see it when you look good you feel good when you feel good you look even better and you become so productive so thank you so much Dr. Edie thank you thank you to our audience for tuning in and as always stay safe